From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth. I am your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq. We have a fantastic show for you uh, today. And I just want to thank you for spending the next hour with us, learning more about your personal finances, hoping to improve your financial wellness. That's always our goal at the end of this show is that you'll walk away with information that you can put to use right away. Uh, this hour on the program, we will be speaking to an expert about what to do if you are unexpectedly laid off. We've heard stories from across industries in Canada of mass layoffs happening in media. A lot of our colleagues lost their jobs just in the last week or so. Uh, many radio stations being shut down. So a lot of people out of work in that industry, in the tech industry. So Google and Facebook and other tech companies scaling back, uh, realizing that maybe they went too far too fast during the pandemic. And now that we're in our new normal, that there isn't as much need for labor as they had first anticipated. But even other companies like Rona, the home improvement company, they've been doing cut packs. And so it really is coming from all different places. And it's about adjusting to the environment that we are in now. Yes, our new normal, but also this economy that we find ourselves in. Just as life is expensive for you and I, doing business is expensive. And so when you have those kind of increase costs, the cuts have to come from somewhere. And often that's labor costs because for a company, one of their biggest uh, expenses is labor. So cutting labor, uh, their labor force, so their workers often saves them the right amount of money that they need to continue to run their business. So what do you do if all of a sudden you find yourself uh, laid off? You didn't expect this. You didn't have any warning. uh, What should you be doing with your personal finances? We'll be speaking to a career strategist after the break about what you should do immediately after learning that you are losing your job but also proactively what you can be doing before you get that kind of notice to make sure you're protected. So nobody likes to be laid off. It's not a good feeling. It puts you in a very vulnerable position. It can create lots of insecurities. But one way you can at least manage that and mitigate that time better is by having a plan in place to get you through uh, the next few months until you find your new job. Uh, one of the one of the tips that she shares, uh, I think is really important because we spoke before the interview, uh, and that is that you should be planning for your layoff as soon as you get your job offer. So she'll explain what she means by that after the break. And later in the program, another major event is retirement. We talk about it all the time. It's RSP season. So a lot of people are thinking about if they should put money into their RSP before the deadline so that it can count toward the 2023 tax year. But once we get to retirement, we also have to manage our money well then. And one expert says, one retirement planning expert says, many of us, many Canadians are not managing their money well in retirement and making some big mistakes that are costing us money. And so what are those mistakes? How can we make sure we're not making them, especially if you're getting close to retirement age and you're starting to make plans? Um, Our expert will have uh, some ways that we can just make sure that we have the best retirement possible. We talk a lot about on this program how many people never plan to retire, but in most cases, people do plan to scale back on work. So maybe you will not have that traditional retirement of 65 and you have the party and you go home. But most people, once they get close to 65 and 70, want to scale back work. So how do you manage your money during that time to make sure that it is um, 
not only is it lasting you your retirement, but also is giving you all the things that you wanted while you were working and you thought about all the things you wanted to do in retirement. As well, at the end of the program, I'm going to announce a new series that I will be hosting on the morning show. It's all about financial wellness. It's in our chorus radio, chorus, chorus entertainment rather family. And so I'll tell you all about where you can watch that. It's a month long series about financial wellness where I'll talk about ways that you can just improve your financial health. So we have all that coming up in the next hour. Please stay with us. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. Hi, Swetha. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. There's been a lot of news about layoffs, uh, not just in the media, which we heard of recently, but in the tech sector. I mean, every industry, uh, we are hearing about more and more jobs being lost. Um, What is your best advice for someone who just found out that they are going to be laid off, and especially if it was unexpected? Absolutely. And yes, normally the layoffs or something is happening, and it's normally unexpected way. We've all seen it all. And um, I think it, it let's go even before that news. So what are you doing when you're hearing those rumor meals and media or within the organizations, the water cooler talk? This is for, for you to listen to it very closely, especially if you are someone who's um, working in remote. You really need to um, go into the office and listen to those rumor meals and start strategizing your exit. And if that happens and you are really shocked about it, um, definitely be positive. That's where it starts in and offer, you know, feel that gratitude inside. And we are somebody when you don't have a title and that this is where a lot of people question their accomplishment and personal branding. So I really want you to think it through what have you accomplished? Who are you without that title? And start, re, you know, working on your SWOT, which is the strength, weaknesses, opportunity, and threat. And maybe there is something that you need to work on, upgrade the skills, especially if you are within the company for so many years, if you're tenure, it's time for you to revisit the labor market and see the titles available for you. Because sometimes the title might have been customized based on where you are within your industry, with the employer. So this is a time for you to look into the inventory of the skills and title. Don't just look at the title. You might find fantastic title and it could be blessing in disguise sometimes. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed, even myself when I've been laid off uh, once uh, in my career, that it did open up opportunity that I never really thought about until I was forced to think about it and actually made for a better career because it happened at a time when there was a lot of time for me to still upgrade my skills. And so it it was sort of that, like they say, blessing in disguise. But it does feel pretty crummy getting laid off. Uh, you start to question your own skills. You see, you know, it's a big hit to your ego. But the one uh, immediate thing that happens is that your finances are turned upside down. What resources are available for employees who, who have been laid off, who immediately need to find out what money can they get coming in? 
Absolutely. And as a layoff survivor, there are certain strategies that I applied. First of all, let's go back to the job offer. You need that handy. And I definitely want you to go and seek the legal advice. Are you leaving your hard earned money? No matter employers are taking care of you, that's fine. You trust your boss, you trust your employer, but you never know what you're missing. It was overlooked. So I really want you to seek the legal advice. Could your severance be um, something that you can negotiate and you can absolutely extend it? And there's something on a severance that you need to look out for based on the title, how long it's going to be um, taking you for you to bounce back, uh, the employment contract you had. I've always told my clients, your exit is dictated by the job offer you've signed it years ago. And this is why you need to go back and review it. Let's say the bonuses were due this year and you did not get the bonus. Was that part of the severance? And you got to look into it. That's a lot of money and people don't understand that. It needs to be prorated. So let's say that you are right now, um, you know, supposed to be getting bonus and your severance package dictates that you're going to be employed until next year based on the length of, you know, severance you had. Are you getting those bonuses and benefits uh, going forward? So these are so many things that the lawyer is going to negotiate for you. And there are some lawyers there. You're not, you're not going to have to pay them right now. They will take that from the employer's pocket as well. So it's a lot of thing that you have to look into it. First, go back and renegotiate. And the other thing is there are a lot of employers who are really good at supporting by providing you career services and outplacement. So that could be negotiable as well. I do have a lot of clients who negotiate and they come back to me to hire it because let's put it that way as a layer survivor, we're not healed right away. We're not ready to go back. We're still questioning why me? Why am I not there? So you need to heal and you need to really know, have that clarity and SWAT on yourself. Okay, where am I going to go back? Am I going to change the career? Is this right moment to go back to the school, upgrade the skills? And we cannot rush that services, which is the outplace, uh, outplacement services. So you want to go back and say, hey, can I get the cash back for it? And usually it could start from like, you know, depending on 2,500 to 5,000, see if there's an option. So when you're ready, hire your personal coach and work with them. Um, those are the financial um, you know, advices that I really want, want people to know that it's available and you have no idea what's negotiable. Know you're right. It's not you're being greedy. It's your money that you're leaving on the table without knowing what's available for you. That is such a key point because I think a lot of people feel like they're taking advantage of a situation by asking for what is due to them. And uh, that could be that couldn't be further from the truth because oftentimes corporations, they have money, but you need to negotiate with them in order to, to get access to that. If you just take the first offer, like it is with salary negotiation, if you just take the first offer, they're not going to argue with you to, 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 to give you more. Um, are there jobs, I mean, we've talked about tech sector and, and the media sector. Um, are, are there jobs that are just, they tend to be more vulnerable to layoffs so then require that sort of forward thinking that, you know, this job, most likely, you know, in a couple of years, I could be in a round of layoffs and I should be prepared for that? Absolutely. And um, based on my own lived experience, um, some of the jobs which were impacted was middle manager. I was one of them. So if I had three more colleagues doing exactly the same thing, I've just recently hired someone to train, that could be potentially your replacement. So just watch out. Why are you training new people? Are you going to be gone if you're the highest paid um, employee? So I think understanding the organization culture is the key and past layoff history. Some organizations, what they do 
do is they lay off tenure folks based on the higher um, salary because we are the cost to them. Some would be based on the low performer where the strategy you've seen it that people are put on performance improvement plan. You're on the PIP and, you know, the strategy is like, hey, you're not performing. So was it fair? Was it wrongful dismissal? Did he have a very bad rating? And was it shocking performance review for you? Was that the strategy? They're all toxic bosses and employers out there, right? So you got to protect yourself and watch those um, read between the line as well. If something is shocking, something's not right. Uh, were you and there's a term called constructive dismissal. So if you're a manager, your your responsibility is a manager managing the team, and they come back to you and say, hey, you know what, you're now individual contributor, that could be technically a constructive dismissal for you and people have no idea. And the other thing is if you're a remote worker, hire as a remote worker, and if you're called back, it's a mandatory requirement for you to come, uh, you know, call, and go back to the office, that could count as a constructive dismissal, uh, dismissal as well. Why are they doing it? Because we've heard in the news, right, saying, hey, if you don't come back, um, you're going to be laid off or quit, right? So um, are you being micromanaged? These are the warning signs you have to look into it. And organizations, culture is really important on it. And the roles are middle manager. And there's a proximity bias kicking in, which is especially if you are, uh, if you have hybrid workers and there are people who are going to be promoted left and right because they're so seen face to face. They're showing up in a meeting. Are the remote worker questioned because they they feel like there's a biases saying that, you know what, they're not committed as well, right? So um, are you going to be impacted because you're a remote worker? So the strategy could be something that how can you make an impactful, meaningful, um, like, you know, um, work environment for your bosses? How can you make your boss look good as well during this dark stage. So that could be your strategy and making sure that you do not have a replacement. Even if you do, you need to communicate with the, you know, the boss. Your boss cannot read your mind. You can let them know, hey, in the event that there is a restructuring coming up, I am cross-trained. I would love to shadow the different department, which is growing as well. I bring this kind of inventory and skills and I can pivot easily. Instead of you hiring different people, I can move out from this department to the other one. Put it in their ear as well, right? And if you want the layoff, put it in the ear as well. You know, I'd be okay with the severance. And if you want that, then you're the first one to get that, what you want. If you're really not happy where, you know, where your talent is celebrated as well. This is a time to get the communication straight up with the strategy with your boss. If you want to be part of of uh, the team, um, whether it's it's happening or not. We're speaking to Sweta Rajmi. She is a certified career strategist and the founder of Teach and Do. Uh, one of the, the insecurities that many people have once they're laid off is when they look for a new job, how will they explain that they were let go from their last job? Oftentimes, they want to make sure that the employer knows it was a layoff, not a firing, not because of bad behavior. How do you do that, especially on a resume where you don't have an opportunity to actually um, help them understand why that why you lost that job. Absolutely. There are certain strategy you can talk about. It. There's two ways. Don't ask, don't tell. But I believe firmly in taking and taking accountability. It's not your fault. Um, take a, you know, be accountable and then call it out on tell me about yourself, which is like the question is going to be tell me about yourself. Then you're going to talk about your accomplishment and say, unfortunately, the role got eliminated. 10 of us were let go and I was part of that and here's what I've learned. Move forward with it. Just like 30 second line, punch line and you're 
addressing that right there in their face, uh, elephant in the room right now, because do not let them hanging. They might assume the worst. And the first thing is you should probably already have on the resume sections right there, right beside laid off, mass layoff, right? Especially if you were laid off and it was all over in media, that's a strategy for you to put it right there. Laid off due to restructuring, mass layoff. So they already know on it, right? Before you even go on to the interview. An interview, address it, move on what you've learned on it. Also, career gap. Um, you can actually up upload that on the LinkedIn profile as well. That's a branding. What have you learned? Start posting it. Hey, I'm doing this. I'm upgrading. Here's my certifications. Here's where I'm giving back. That, volunteering, that's all something that I strategize it to go back. I had one year career gap. I had built in the stories when they asked me, hey, what happened to the last job? What were you doing, right? I had all those posts ready to go build the impactful stories so they feel like, all right, so you know what? The person is doing something, right? So learn the new tech, learn the labor market, learn the new skills, and it would be easy for you to take accountability and make it feel like I'm so proud of it, even though when the worst moment happened to me, I was resilient. Uh, we only have a few seconds left here, Sweta, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, if, if someone is thinking of reaching out and getting uh, some professional career advice that costs money often, uh, what would be your argument uh, that in a, in a layoff situation where money is actually tight to spend money to improve your chances of landing that next job? Absolutely. So there are a lot of free resources. Uh, for example, I have a lot of free resources on my YouTube channel, Teach and Do, on my free resources. People can download. In fact, I have created as a layoff survivor. How do you announce the layoff? There's a strategy, right? A lot of people shy away from it. Announce the layoff and strategy should be something like, hey, I got laid off, gratitude, here's what I've learned, these are the role I'm targeting. So posting, creating the personal branding, these are something it does not cost you the money, it requires commitment on your part. Make sure your LinkedIn is optimized and you know how to do it. I, I have those on the YouTube channel. So start hanging out with the right people who were laid off and they were in the industry and talk to them. Hey, what are the resources, free resources? What did you do to upgrade it? Now, did you know that you can partner with the you know mentorship uh, within your colleges, university? If you graduated, they provide free LinkedIn learning. There is a library. They provide free LinkedIn learning as well. So know these are the free resources available for you, but it requires the commitment for you. And you don't have to spend a dime on it to build a personal branding, but you're going to have to execute beautifully. So that way the recruiters are looking out for you instead of you are applying online and getting tired of it. Make sure your LinkedIn is SEO friendly, because if you don't have a good branding, you don't have a key skills, keywording, and you don't let them know that you're open to opportunity. No one's going to know. Use the tool that's available for you. Opening the LinkedIn brand, uh, you know, banner with the green frame. Uh, which is like, hey, I'm available. Everyone knows. So sometimes we are ashamed to let people know that we're unemployed, but we got to use the tool that we have it, which is the free resources if money is tight on you. And get um, get it going. Build a side, side hustle. If you are hiring manager, let's say, and you got laid off, you know, you have tons of resources. You can go and volunteer on employment services. Speak for free. Talk about your experience. Make an impact. And you feel great as well. And at the same time, you built your personal branding. And that's exactly what I did. 
Thank you much, so much, Sweta. I really think that people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Um, even if we haven't been laid off, it's something that we should be thinking about um, just like any other emergency. You don't want it to happen, but you should be prepared if it does. I really uh, thank you for your time. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. You may be doing a good job of saving for retirement, but are you ready to manage your money in retirement? My next guest says many Canadians are making costly mistakes when they retire. Chad Harmer is a retirement planning expert and managing director of Harmer Wealth Management in Clarington, Ontario. He joins us now with some tips on how we can be better with our cash when we retire. Hi, Chad. Hi, how are you? Good, good. I mean, a lot of people not so good when it comes to uh, how they manage their money. Um, What is it about retirement that we we tend to not understand what it's going to feel like when it comes to actually dealing with our with our finances? I feel a lot of it comes down to the planning process. Uh, Many of us and the majority of Canadians do set money aside for long term purposes, a lot of that being geared towards retirement. But what we find is we're we're, uh, earmarking this money or putting this money aside and we're not doing the proper planning behind it. So where what what happens to that money in the long run? What does that money look like for income in the long run? Um, So it really boils down to that that planning piece. And is that one of the biggest mistakes we're making, we're making? Because we get these messages, you know, save this much in RSP, make sure you're, you know, match, putting your money into your workplace pension, especially if they're doing a match uh, program, because your money will grow even more. Um, is that the piece we miss is actually planning for retire- what retirement is going to look like? What are some of the, the common mistakes we tend to make? Absolutely. So I think number one, you, you've hit it on the head. It's 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 not planning for retirement. So again, sitting down, looking at what our expenses will be in retirement. Are we going to have a mortgage? Are we going to live a more modest retirement? Or are we looking to do traveling and um, other expenses that come with that? Aside from that, um, it really boils down to the investment. So we are setting money aside, whether that be through our employer, whether that be through our our advisors um, and how that money is being invested. So unfortunately, so many times we hear from clients or prospects who come into our firm and they've had money being directed aside, but they haven't spoke to someone in years. So they don't really know what is happening with that money. So um, improper investments over the long term, they really have a dramatic effect on not only the growth of the money, but again, that that resulting income in, in retirement. So the planning piece is huge, but also how that money is being invested. And what, what we tend to forget is that retirement is long. So it's not like we need all the money at 65. You may need some of that at 95, right? So you've got to really make sure that uh, you are saving, not just saving, but like you said, investing money for the future. You you still, if you look at it, have a 30-year time uh, horizon if you are investing for, for that time period in your life. Um, one of the things that I find, Chad, is that people underestimate how much retirement actually costs. They have this misnomer that retirement is super cheap and all your expenses fall by the wayside and everything's going to be easy peasy when it comes to your cash. Um, How much can someone expect to spend in retirement? Is there a a percentage of their working income that they can assume will will be what they spend when they actually leave work uh, uh, to retire full time? 
Yeah, it's an excellent question. So there is, in fact, a rule of thumb here, and that's that you should have about 75 to 80 percent of your pre-retirement income as income in retirement. Um, and really what that boils down to is the assumption that we're going to have no mortgage, that you're going to be commuting less. But again, I, I'm going to bring it back to that that planning piece, um, because truly everything comes back to that when it comes to retirement. And so some are going to now be moving into retirement with mortgages. Um, and, and again, lifestyle change. Yes, you may not be commuting as much, but we, we may be adding on vacations and there are hobbies. And so that rule of thumb of 75 to 80% of that pre-retirement income needed in retirement, it, it's a good starting point. But again, coming back to that planning piece and really looking at what retirement means to you as an individual or a household is extremely important. Now, at the beginning, I said, you know, we may be doing a really good job at saving for retirement and there's costly mistakes we're making when we are in retirement, but there are still a lot of Canadians that aren't doing a very good job when it comes to saving for retirement. Is there, you know, a way that we can uh, understand, you know, we get all these big numbers. You need a million dollars to retire. You need more than that to retire. Um, Is there a way that we can understand how much money we actually need to save when we're working? I know you gave that 70% number, but what does that mean as your nest egg? How much, how much should we be setting as a goal if we want to retire well? Absolutely. So when we're talking about that 75 to 80% of pre-retirement wages, what we do is we look at that number, we determine what that number is, again, whether it's by individual, whether it's by household. And then from there, we look at the other sources of income that we'll have in retirement. So do we have a pension income from work? Uh, Do we have the CPP, OAS? If so, what are those amounts that we are going to be receiving And when are we going to start to receive them? After we've calculated that, then we really look into our retirement accounts and our savings accounts and what we've got set aside um, for retirement. And so for here, for for that amount, there's there's a standard figure that we use of 4% a year. And this helps us determine based on this nest egg that we have set aside, what can we reliably look at for a yearly income? And so let's say we're talking $500,000. If we're looking at using that 4% standard amount, that's an additional 20,000 a year in income that we know we can rely on in retirement. So that helps us um, build uh, our different sources of income and kind of see where we stack up to get to that 75, 80% per year um, of pre-retirement wages. Now, on top of that, again, the 4% is, is kind of another rule of thumb or a standard amount. Um, but I, again, the importance of speaking with a financial planner or with a financial advisor is it, it's huge. Um there's alternative tools, alternative investments, and, and, and strategies that can now be implemented to help to either bolster this number or ensure that we are able to live um, a sustainable retirement um, and, and that our income lasts uh, with us. 
We're speaking to Chad Harmer. He is a retirement planning expert based in Clarington, Ontario. Uh, when do we start saving for retirement? I know that we can open an RRSP at the age of 18. I don't think there's many 18-year-olds who are thinking about retirement, but is there a time where someone should get really serious about saving for, um, I like to call it long-term savings, so you know the word retirement can bog young people down, uh, but when yeah. is a good time to just start putting that money away for that time when you will leave work? Yeah, the long and short of that is as soon as possible. Um, and it, it's funny, at one time, and when I originally started in my practice, we weren't seeing as many 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds or even 30-year-olds um, that were focusing so much on these, these long-term savings. However, this is starting to change quite dramatically. Um, and I, I like your mention of the word long-term savings versus retirement. And I, I think that's very important. Um, and so... The 18-year-olds the who are coming in or the 20-year-olds who are coming in and they're starting their RSPs or their tax-free savings accounts, or now we have the first home savings accounts, um, really they're, they're starting that long-term growth. Now, maybe some of that may be directed initially towards the purchase of a home. Um, however, aside from that long-term focus of that retirement picture, it, we also have the benefit with the RSPs um, from an early stage of the income tax deduction. So it's something that people are certainly um, more open than in, in the past to, to starting and, and to getting going. Um, but again, when should we start saving for retirement? As soon as possible. It's going to give us a greater growth on our, on our runway for our investments and, of course, resulting retirement income and uh, a lowered risk of uh, a market event or a life event affecting these retirement savings. And for those who are listening that might think, ah, Chad and Rubina, I'll be okay. I'll start saving <laughs> later when I'm making more money. Uh, you know, everything goes towards rent and paying for groceries. I don't got any money left over. Um, what do we risk when we leave retirement savings too late? There's a few different... Uh, factors that come into play here. But really, I would say the, the number one is going to be that date that you are able to retire. Um, those who kind of those who leave retirement savings and retirement planning to later on in life, uh, we're, we're starting later on. So either we have the ability, um, or, or hopefully the income to be able to uh, make up for lost years that we weren't saving, or we have to extend that period um, out from retirement. And, and so we're, we're going to have a, a later retirement date, or we're shortening the retirement period. Aside from that, and if that's not the factor that comes into play, then we're looking at changing um, or making retirement maybe a little bit more modest based on, on income. So if someone's saving a little bit later, has a late start, Maybe they are getting that you know, two trips a year or that new car every five years. Um, there's just changes and sacrifices that would need to be to be made and brought into the plan in order to um, in order to make things work. So when opening up a, a retirement um, savings plan, whether that be through your work or through an advisor or through the bank, you have the ability to initially contribute simply to cash. So just like your savings account that you have at the bank, within the RSP account, you're able to contribute to cash. And with cash, we receive an interest rate. 
and there is no fluctuation. So it is as safe as they come. It's a great starting point for anyone who's just looking at putting some money aside, but is wanting to take the baby steps into, into um, the in investment picture of things. But I will say this, and this is something that I've seen many, many, many times over the years. It's starting that way is excellent. However, revisiting this strategy and revisiting your options is extremely important. Um, sitting in cash where you may be earning 1%, 2% if you're lucky can really hinder the long-term growth um, especially if we're talking 20, 30, 40 years of long-term savings, we really want to make sure that you're maximizing your growth. So I think cash is an excellent way of, of starting within the RSP account, but revisiting is very important. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's really important to talk about, you know, what to do with your money in retirement, not just be really good at saving it, but also be really good at managing it once you finally do leave work um, and have to uh, live on those savings that you've spent your entire life uh, working towards. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. That's Chad Harmer. He's a retirement planning expert and managing director of Harmer Wealth Management in Clarington, Ontario. When we come back, there are some new statistics from the Canadian Real Estate Association that tell us that the housing market is starting to pick up again, at least the sales are. Is this an indication of what's to come in 2024? And if you're on the in the market to look for a house, should you be out there aggressively bidding? Uh, sort of the same things that we saw back in 2020. A lot of people got themselves into situations which now we're seeing that they can't afford because of what happened with interest rates. As well, we'll talk about RRSP season, and I'm going to make a little correction as to something I said last week. You guys emailed me. I heard you. I'll make that correction when we come back. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. Welcome back to the show. I'm Rabina ahmed Hawk. Now, last week we talked about RRSPs and I kind of made a comment that you get an extra day to contribute to your RSP because it's the leap year and it's an act one day longer. And I was emailed by a number of you to say, no, you don't actually get an extra day. You still just get the 60 days that you get in the first part of the year. So to be clear, you're not actually getting an extra day. It's 60 days from the beginning of the calendar year. If you make a contribution into your RSP, you can use that contribution to count towards your last tax year. So for example, if you contribute $1,000 into your RRSP before February 29th at midnight, you can use that contribution to lower your taxable income for the 2023 tax year. So this is an excellent time to sit down and figure out how much you have put into your RRSP and what your total income was. So you take your total income, 
take off your RRSP contributions to see what your taxable income is going to be. And then you can fiddle around. There's lots of great uh, uh, R, um, uh, income tax calculators. I really like the one with uh, TurboTax. You can fiddle around and put in, you know, if you contributed a thousand more, what it, uh, how much your taxable, in, how much, uh, how, how much that would lower your taxable income and what kind of refund you could expect back. So all of that, uh, you can do that work between now and the 29th. And I highly recommend that if you can afford to do so, please put money into your RSP. But if you've got high interest debt, if you owe money, uh, a utility bill that's been hanging around for a few months and you simply haven't been able to pay it, you have to pay those things down. Those are priority. But if you feel like you didn't reach your retirement savings goals for 2023 and you would like to try to make up for some of that, you can put an extra contribution in uh, before the end of this month and that will count. That can count toward your 2023. So no, you're not getting an extra day. You're just getting February 29th, which is an extra day in February. So I apologize for that uh, for that information because it was incorrect. Uh, we heard from the Canadian Real Estate Association uh, this week, and they're telling us that sales are up 22%, 22% year over year. We are back in the market wanting to buy a house. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to see prices jump all of a sudden, but it could mean that there could be more competition when you go in. So you may not be the only person interested in buying that home because more people seem to be in the market. Uh, there is definitely uh, a lot more, uh, there's pent up demand because people have been on the sidelines as interest rates have gone up and up and up. Now, does this mean that prices are going to go up? We don't know. But definitely if they cut interest rates, the Bank of Canada cuts interest rates, that is going to put some upward pressure on prices because that's what happens. You cut interest rates, people can afford more and they go out there and they bid more for those same houses because they can afford to borrow more. So definitely we will be watching the Bank of Canada announcements and if there is an interest rate cut, we will be discussing the impact it could have on the housing market. Now, speaking of housing, there is a new poll by Scotiabank. It's called the Scotiabank Worry Poll. And half of parents that they spoke to who have children under the age of 18 plan to help their kids with a down payment on a home. Now, this is really in reflection to the fact that homes are so expensive in Canada, especially in our major cities, and parents are factoring that in to their personal finances, that not only will they help their kids out in university, but they're also, or, or college, they'll also be helping them out when they start to look for their first home. Now, I'm a bit split on this. Um, you know, first, you know, you don't know what the housing market's going to look like when they finally get to a point where they want to buy a house. Uh, you know, you shouldn't base it on today's information and what's happening right now. And also, Lots of people, I mean, if you think back to the late uh, the late 80s before there was really a decline in housing prices in the early 90s, at that time would have said the same thing. You know, I really think I'm going to have to help my kids out when it, when it comes to their first home. But if they had fast forwarded five years, they would have known, mm, I probably don't have to because prices have actually come down considerably. So lots could happen in the housing market. Wages could increase, which would make it easier easier for young people to get into the housing market. So even though many of these parents are saying that they're willing to help, um, they may not have to. Uh, it may get to a point where 
uh, you know, Gen Z, that's really the, the generation now we're thinking about, uh, may be able to afford to buy their home on their own without the help of mom and dad. And it is one of those major events in your life where uh, it's the first thing that you do with your own money as an adult. Often, uh, young people will get help when it goes to, gets, uh, when it goes, um, to, when it comes to tuition. Uh, but when it comes to your first home, there is something very, uh, there's a milestone event where you're able to actually afford the down payment on your first home and it can make you feel very responsible for that purchase as well. So there's that part of it too. You want to make sure that, uh, you're setting themselves up, uh, to really appreciate that asset that they now own. Now, before I let you go, I wanted to tell you about a new series on The Morning Show, which is in our Chorus Entertainment family. Um, it comes on the show 9 a.m. Eastern, uh, and it airs across the country, and there will be a segment in it called Rubina to the Rescue. And I will be discussing every Thursday... Uh, something about your financial wellness. So this uh, week we talked about how to get out of debt. We're also going to talk about saving. We're going to talk about how to plan for the future, how to manage your debt, all different topics that are top of mind for Canadians as we navigate our way through this really unpredictable year when it comes to interest rates, wages, the economy. And a lot of people are still thinking, how am I going to pay off that Christmas credit card? So you might have made some payments into the balance, but you haven't paid the full balance off yet. So this is a time where a lot of us start to get really worried about our finances. So this couldn't come at a better time for people to really sit down and think about how they're going to improve their financial wellness in 2024. So I hope you tune into that. And of course, I hope you tune into this program. Uh, we are here at the same time, same channel every week. And you can also get us um, uh, online. Uh, this is made into a podcast later, so you can listen online as well. I really want to thank you all for, for tuning in today, for spending an hour with us. I hope you got something out of those conversations. I really did appreciate Chad talking about how important it is to start saving right away. I talk often about that saving muscle. So it's not about how much you save. It's about really flexing that saving muscle so that you know that when you make more money, you've got to increase your savings rather than the other attitude of, I'll save when I have more money. Because normally, most of us are not going to think that way once we start making bigger salaries. I hope you tune in next week. We'll be back here, same place, same channel. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.